It's the 30th of July. This is Deep Fried Planet on 104.4 FM. This is Resonance FM. I'm Joss Garman. And I'm Ben Stewart. So earlier this week, you may have seen on the front page of the Evening Standard and elsewhere that 50 BP petrol stations were shut down around London by Greenpeace uh, in a pretty major direct action. Ben was one of the organisers. And I think from your perspective, one of the things that was pretty interesting about it was the way it just went completely wild online. I thought it was interesting that even though it was front page of the Evening Standard, most people actually learnt about the fact that the action had happened, either by driving past BP stations or, a lot more likely, from it being online. When we looked at the media the next day, there wasn't that much in the papers, what bloggers called the dead tree press, but it was huge online and, in fact, it trended on Twitter. That is to say that it was one of the big conversations that people were having on Twitter. And for that reason, we had absolutely scores of people phoning us up, mainly to moan at us because they were... They were motorists who thought it was um, a leftist plot to, to declare war on, on the motorist. But the point is, I think, that something has fundamentally changed where people are getting their information now from the web and not from newspapers. And for that reason, I think uh, people who work in campaigning are going to have to really change the way that they work. And that's the kind of thing we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> if you look at the way that the uh, web is used, it's mostly as an oppositional tool. And the net roots in America, that is to say the grassroots kind of political activist community in America, uh, really came into its own using the internet in opposition, uh, in opposition to the Bush administration. And a lot of people are asking if something similar could happen here in opposition to the uh, conservative-led government. Uh, And if it does, then I guess two of the people who will be absolutely at the fore of that will be Will Straw, who runs the progressive blog leftfootforward.org, and David Babs from 38 Degrees, who we'll be speaking to later in the programme. But first of all, Will, are you there? Hello, Will. Hi there, can you hear me? Yeah, hi. How are you doing? Thanks for joining us. Not at all. So we were just saying that the web really came into its own in America as an oppositional tool to the Bush administration for the Democrats, and how something similar could start to happen in this country uh, in terms of the progressive community uh, starting to use the internet much more effectively and saying that if it does, then you're likely to be a leading figure in that. Do you think that's true? Well, I don't know if I'll be a leading figure, but I certainly think that this is something that's likely to happen. Um, In the UK, it's no surprise that the most successful blogs so far have been on the right, Um, blogs like uh, Guido Fawkes and Ian Dale, um, who very much positioned themselves against the Labour government um, in in the last years of the Labour government. Now that we have a, a coalition... Uh, particularly one that um, is pushing through some pretty devastating cuts. Uh, the focus seems to be starting to shift more to the left-wing blogs. But we can't be complacent. You, you have to provide content that people want to read. Uh, it has to either have really valuable, useful, well-researched information uh, or be extremely funny or ideally both uh, in order for people to, to want to come to the site and to, to pick it up. Uh, and I think um, that that's something that everybody involved in left-wing blogs will have to work on. So leftfootforwards.org, that's your blog. That's right. Um, that's been only running a few months, but it's already been quite successful. Can you tell us a bit about the blog and about the hits that you're getting and that kind of thing? Yeah, so we launched um, last September, and um, the, the premise was that um, blogs on the left in the UK were either entirely focused on one political party um, or just really did the kind of sort of gossip and opinion, um, of which there's already quite a lot. We, we wanted to produce something that was a, a bit more serious, a bit more focused on policy and, um, and also having a very clear set of values. 
about uh, a more environmentally friendly world, about um, making sure that those at the bottom are least affected by the recession, about ensuring that uh, communities are um, really cohesive and, and coming together, and pushing back on um, what we saw as um, some of the worst aspects of, um, of the corruption of the expenses scandal. And um, what we've seen over that kind of uh, nine-month period is we've become one of the top five blogs in the country. Um, we regularly, um, during the election, we're getting close to 100,000 um, unique visitors a month. And, um, and we've had uh, lots of our stories sort of take off in the, in the mainstream media. So it's been a good start. I think there's, there's still a long way to go. We're, we're still some way off the success of um, Guido Fawkes and Ian Dale. But my sense is that things will change over the next few years as sites that are more supportive of the Conservatives and of the coalition government um, become less popular. Well, in the United States, where I know you used to work, the um, blogosphere arguably is more influential over politics than traditional media now. And I don't think that's necessarily the case in the UK. Why do you think that is? Why is it that in, in London it's still the BBC, the Guardian, the Telegraph and the Times that are setting the national conversation and defining conventional wisdom rather than blogs? And do you think that's going to change soon? I think there's a big difference between America and Britain, and that's to do with the structure of the media market. So in the UK, as we know, there's a very competitive print media, um, which uh, a lot of uh, the newspapers focus on politics to some extent. In the US, there's no real national newspaper. The only one um, really is USA Today, which has a very light political coverage and is much more about um, sort of local stories, but put on the national scale. Um, and the New York Times and Washington Post um, I mean, they do have national readership, but, um, but they're, they're not actually read by that many people. So there was a real gap for something that covered politics nationally. And then in terms of the broadcast media, um, we have the BBC, which is um, pretty impartial. And, uh, and then, of course, the other broadcasters like Sky and ITV um, are uh, at least meant to be impartial. Whether they always achieve that is another matter, but they're certainly meant to be. Whereas in America, um, Sky, uh, sorry, not Sky, Fox, the, um, the sister of Sky, uh, and um, CNBC and the other channels have a very strong editorial line. So they're not seen as being uh, impartial um, and, uh, and, and they're a bit biased, um, particularly Fox News. So there's a, an opportunity there for, again, the internet to kind of expose when Fox News are presenting as news something that really is, um, is quite biased. Mm. And that's rather different in the UK. I think that means that the um, political blogosphere is competing uh, in a more competitive uh, and, um, and certainly more saturated market. But um, the way that politics uh, in the national media has become so driven by personality means that there is a real opportunity to um, sort of get behind the stories and look again at um, what's driving them, the, what, what money is um, driving influence, you know, why is it that um, the conservative-supported conservative press went out so hard for their candidates during the election with the Sun declaring which um, party they were backing as early as uh, September? You know, why have those things happened? What, what's driving them? Uh, and, um, and also uh, pushing back on this relentless media narrative about the cuts and why um, this is so necessary when in fact it's an ideological decision. Now this radio station uh, tries to focus primarily on environmental issues and one of the big stories in the blogosphere this year or since November has been the so-called climate gate um, pseudo scandal about leaked emails from the University of East Anglia. It seems to me that the right-wing blogosphere did an incredibly good job of channeling false information into the traditional media 
and the progressive blogosphere to a certain extent didn't provide any countervailing force. Would you agree with that? Why do you think that was and what can be done to ensure that the misinformation about climate change that is born online and ends up in the traditional media can actually be fought online? I think that's a pretty good analysis. I mean, it, it, it's very clear that the um, climate sceptic and climate denying community are very well organised online. Um, I don't think we can say that all of them are driven by corporate interests, but there certainly is uh, some, um, must be some concern about where some of the funding comes from. And, um, and that meant that when that uh, so-called scandal erupted, they very quickly were pushing out um, their lines and it was being picked up by some of the right-wing media um, in the UK and the US that were really looking for that kind of story. Now, there's therefore an asymmetric battle there uh, and it's difficult for the um, left-wing blogosphere to compete against that kind of force uh, when um, our resources are so low and um, you know, it's, it's hard to be organised. But you know, the number of um, environmental bloggers, not least uh, Joss, who, um, who wrote some pieces for Left Foot Forward pushed back on that. And, um, and I think some newspapers like The Guardian and The Independent did their work as well. Some of that um, led by the, the research and information that was being put on blogs. Um, but do you think the, the, the model of, of campaigning that in this country has traditionally been led by the major civil society and NGO groups is kind of becoming outdated and too clunky and not flexible enough to respond in the way that the right have been? I mean. Do you think it's just a question of resources, um, or do you think there's something more systemic? Well, I think that, I mean, if you look at the blogosphere, there's no blog in the world, uh, a professional full-time blog in the world, that isn't cross-subsidised from some other source. Um, we know that um, Arianna Huffington... That's an interesting uh, fact. Yeah, well, I mean, we know that Arianna Huffington pours money into um, the Huffington Post. Uh, both um, Conservative Home and Ian Dale in the UK cross-subsidised with um, investment from Lord Ashcroft. Uh, even Guido Fawkes, who um, doesn't take funding from elsewhere, uh, runs an advertising agency for a number of British blogs, which helps him to pay for his blog. So this is, this is not yet something that anybody has cracked as a profitable industry. And um, in the UK, at least, arguably, there's been um, less philanthropic support for, uh, for blogs. So that, that's one problem. The second one is who's uh, driving the information. Um, I think it is still the case, and, um, and, and you would know this from your work at Greenpeace better than me, that a number of civil society groups are still quite focused in terms of their outreach on uh, the traditional media and um, trying to create publicity stunts and uh, stories that the mainstream media will follow. And actually, as, as uh, Ben was observing um, in uh, the introduction, um, there is now this amazing power of, um, sort of word of mouth campaigns where because of uh, social networks like Facebook and Twitter and so on, we can get messages out to people much more effectively through their own social media than we can necessarily through the mainstream media. And the blogs play a role in that because if you are a blog, as Left Foot Forward is, that's focused on progressive policies, or if you're a blog like Climate Progress that's focused uh, entirely on um, climate change issues, then um, you can develop an audience that are uh, very clear about the fact they can come to you for information. And then once you've got your um, pieces up, the links get disseminated. Uh, and within that community, they go around very rapidly. But it does mean that the civil society groups, whether it's 
focusing on climate change or development issues or poverty or civil liberties have to be much clearer about the importance of both the blogs and of social media in getting their message out there. I think there are some organisations, including Greenpeace, that have been effective in doing that, but there are a number of others that are still quite far behind. Well, one of the criticisms that's made of the blogosphere is that it atomises the media. That is to say that people who have an opinion about an issue, let's say climate change, go to the media where they get their prejudices reinforced. And so there's no sense of one universal truth. We're not having one national conversation. And that this feeds extremist views so that people who believe in climate change think the other side are quasi-fascists who are in the pay of ExxonMobil and the other side thinks that people who believe in climate change are the, uh, the you know, quasi-communists. Would you agree with that analysis? Is there a problem there about the country being able to move on on a footing where we're sure of certain facts because of the fact that the blogosphere actually encourages people to have those prejudices? I think it's putting the cart before the horse, probably. Um, I don't think there's any doubt that uh, media consumption is becoming more atomised and that uh, people are going to the news sources that reinforce their own views and so on. But I don't think that's the fault of the blogosphere. I think that's an inevitable consequence of uh, a much more disparate media where people no longer get their news from a newspaper that comes through the door in the morning and from the uh, 10 o'clock news at night. And the blogosphere is just a symptom of that. Uh, it, it is recognising the changes in the media and responding to it rather than driving those changes. I think um, what will happen over time is that there will be a much greater premium on aggregator sites. So already you've got a site like Politics Home, which is pretty neutral, actually, and does a pretty good job of bringing together all the different strands from the mainstream press, from the blogosphere, from Twitter, and giving people a sense of what people are talking about. Uh, another one specifically focused on political tweets is called Tweetminster, and that does a, a very similar thing and uses some clever algorithms. Google News is another one. I think you know, nobody would argue that Google News was biased, and it does a good job of um, allowing people to get a sense of what's going on. So I think what will happen is you will see more and more uh, news sources created. You'll see those existing news sources become more biased, and I think it's inevitable that over time in the UK, uh, Channel 4 News, ITV, Sky News will become more biased. Uh, but then you'll also see a expanding role for these aggregator sites to allow people who want to get a more balanced perspective the opportunity to do that. That's interesting. Um, just before you go, uh, you worked on both the Hillary Clinton and the Obama campaigns in America. Uh, they must be very different from the Labour leadership campaign that we're watching at the moment. Just before you go, what are your, your thoughts on the Labour leadership campaign? Well, I think that um, although four of the five candidates um, look very similar and have a pretty similar background. Um, it, it's not entirely fair to say that there's no debate going on at the moment. Um, I, I mean, I think if you look at some quite important issues that, that matter to not just um, Labour uh, voters, but also to the general public, things like the level of taxation, things like Trident, there are differences between the candidates in the race, and there is something of a discussion going on. Um, I think that uh, there's also been some uh, quite interesting uses of um, both online uh, sort of new media techniques, but also some of the community organizing techniques that we saw in um, America uh, by primarily Barack Obama. Um, David Miliband has 29,000 followers on Twitter. That's not a huge number, but it's uh, pretty high for any British politician, and it means that he's able to get his message out to a wide group of people. 
Um, Ed Miliband has been um, running this campaign for a living wage, building on the work that groups like London Citizens have done. That's not the kind of thing that we've seen in previous uh, leadership races in the UK with a candidate picking a specific issue. And then um, David Miliband again has um, said that he wants to train a thousand community organisers. So although there's nothing as innovative uh, as the Barack Obama um, campaign, they are building on some of those techniques that we used in America in, I think, a positive way and something that means that whoever wins, and, and I think there's no doubt now that it will be one of the Miliband brothers, they will be uh, both taking a real interest um, in this whole area, uh, but also um, thinking hard about how they can use the tools available to them to um, bring in progressive change in the UK. And that's well, got to be a positive thing. Thanks very much for joining us, Will. Not I good. hope that the environmental community can adopt some of these techniques. Great. Thanks. thanks Cheers. Cheers, Will. Thanks a lot. So we're going to have a brief interlude now. Um, and then we'll be speaking to David Babs from the new online campaigning organisation, 38 Degrees. So this is Josh Garman and Ben Stewart on Resonance FM. We're just going to continue talking about online politics and online campaigning. And we're very lucky to have with us David Babs, who has set up a, um, or is running, a new online campaigning organisation, or relatively new, called 38 Degrees. Hi, David. Hi. So tell us a bit about your organisation and the kind of new model of campaigning that you're pioneering in Britain. So 38 Degrees is um, a people-powered campaigning movement. Um, we believe that there are hundreds of thousands of people in the UK who care about the issues. They want to want to see the government tackling poverty. They want climate change um, stopped. They, they believe in protecting human rights. They want the UK to be playing a positive role in the world. Um, but traditional politics, traditional political institutions um, aren't, aren't connecting with those people. Would you what include giving 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 all those people a way of coming together um, deciding together what we want to campaign about and having a, a real impact on events but I guess a lot of people when they think of these issues like climate change poverty human rights think of amnesty Oxfam Greenpeace what how do you think uh, your group has a sort of niche I think there are a few things about 38 degrees that are very very different to, to a any anything else that, that, that's going on in the UK we're we're 
a multi-issue campaigning organisation. So we see the link between the things that Amnesty, Greenpeace, Oxfam, whoever are, are doing. Um, we don't we don't kind of get stuck in an issue silo. We're really fast moving and responsive. So we 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 look at what's going on in the news, what's happening this week, and give people ways of coming together and ha having an impact on events while they're happening. Um, and then probably most importantly of all, we're, we're member-driven. We ask our members all the time what, what they'd like us to be campaigning on. We're all continually sending out polls and surveys to people, hosting discussions on our Facebook page, on our blog, asking people on Twitter what, what they want 38 Degrees to be campaigning on and how they want, how they want us to be doing it. And um, they really, we really listen to that. Um, we're a people-powered campaigning organisation, so if people don't want to get involved, we're not going to have an impact. So... I think we're offering people a chance not just to take action on behalf of an organisation, but to be part of a movement and decide together what we do and how we do it. Hi, David, it's Ben here. Um, a lot of people, the cynics, and I disagree with them, think that this online campaigning thing is in no way the way that you actually influence politicians because you're just harvesting names and getting petitions together and that kind of thing. Can you give us an idea of some of the successes that you've had and give us an indication of how this actually works on the ground and how you've managed to um, muscle in on certain issues and made people change their behaviour? Sure. I think 38 Degrees is about a lot more than just signing petitions. It's about, it's about people coming together and putting pressure on the right people at the right time when decisions are being taken. And that's meant we've, we, we've won a lot of campaigns. We've, we've, we've only existed a year, and in that time we, um, we took the government on about um, the fact that it was possible for big business to be lobbying in secret and for the public to have no, no right to know who was lobbying whom, what they were talking about. And that's now government policy, but that's going to change and that rules are going to be brought in. So the public can see what's going on with lobbyists. We, we took, Ken, we took um, Boris Johnson on when, um, it, during the, the London mayoral election, he promised to fund four rape crisis centres for rape survivors in London um, and then just totally failed to deliver and we, we challenged him on that and now that, that, that funding is coming through. When um, the, the previous government announced that the Iraq war inquiry was going to be held behind closed doors, we, we, we got, got a response together very quickly and, um, quickly and, and um, helped push the government to, to hold the inquiry in public as we're seeing it going on right now. Um, when the BBC Trust announced that they were going to impose deep cuts on uh, on BBC services, including scrapping Six Music and, and Asian Network, we we mobilised thousands of people, not just to sign a petition, but also to put in their own personal responses to the, the consultation and to fundraise for big billboards outside um, outside BBC offices, big adverts outside influential BBC offices all over the country, saying don't 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 go ahead with these cuts and. Um, We've heard since that, um, that the, the BBC Trust has rethought some of those decisions, and Six Music, for example, is now going to be saved. So, I mean, I think the, the, the simplest answer to the idea that it makes no difference is to just look at all the campaigns we've won by just loads of people coming together, working together to make a difference. So it's interesting that we were just we were just speaking to Will Straw from the blog LeftFootForward.org, and um, he was talking about some of the differences and similarities between the blogosphere and online campaigning and online politics in this country compared with the US where it seems to be much more advanced and in many ways much more influential. I mean, did when you were setting up or uh, beginning to run 38 Degrees, did you draw inspiration from particular things that have been going on in America or other countries? Yes, definitely. Um, our starting point was this belief that there are all these, that there are hundreds of thousands of us out there in the UK who want to get involved but nothing but existed 
um, was, was, was working for, for those people, was connecting with us all. Um, we, looked, we looked overseas to see where examples that might inspire us, and we saw an organization called Move On in, in, the, in the States, that um, over 1% of Americans were involved in Move On, and they were very influential in challenging George Bush around the Iraq War, in helping um, uh, Barack Obama beat Hillary Clinton to be, be nominated as, as Democrat president presidential candidate and then in pushing for reforms that have, have come through like like the health care reform um, a, ver a ver very powerful organization um, get up in Australia um, who have been really challenging the Australian government on, on things like um, uh, refugee policy and climate change um, and, and media ownership over there They're, these are organizations that do some of the things that 38 degrees does in terms of being fast-moving, responsive um, to, to events, being driven by what, what, what our membership wants to do. We, 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 we took a lot of advice from those organizations and kind of transplanted some of what they were doing to, to the UK. But obviously things are different here, um, and we're, we're, we're very much a UK organization. Okay, let's talk about how this works. I mean, imagine I've uh, just bought a laptop, and I'm feeling like I want to make some trouble. Um, I'm a bit angry about various things. I log on. I don't really know what um, I'm doing. Uh, I go to 38 degrees. What happens next? How do I sign up? How do you talk to me? What do you ask me to do? What's the journey that I go on? There are different ways you can get involved with 38 degrees. You could go to our website, 38degrees.org.uk, um, and you'll see there the, the, a menu of all the campaigns and issues that we're working on at the moment, um, and that will give you various options for taking action. So at the moment, you could... Um, Help, help put pressure on, on Vince Cable to not let Rupert Murdoch seize even more control of the British m media by signing a petition to him. You could help, dis help, help um, us decide how we can get involved in the, um, the referendum on changing the voting system next, next year. You could put, help put pressure on councillors in Lincolnshire um, to not allow big, big new US-style cow factory farms to be open there. You, and you, you could sign, sign, sign up to any of those campaigns and send an email to your MP or sign a petition or donate or whatever else is going on on those issues. That would then mean that you started receiving email updates from 38 Degrees whenever, whenever there was something, something new to do. Um, we don't kind of send, send emails on a weekly basis. If nothing's happening, we won't send you anything. If something's happening, we need to make a decision, we need to ask your opinion on something, or there's a campaign action to take, then you'll get an email from us. Um, alternatively, you, you could find the 38 Degrees page on Facebook and, um, and jo join in discussions there. We post up articles, questions, people, people start, um, pe people help decide what we, so David, we do there, or you could follow us on Twitter. Do you think, um, I mean, how, uh, obviously some of that, like the, the engagement with the, your, your supporters, and being much more flexible in terms of that week's news is very different from the major campaigning organisations. But do you think fundamentally, um, you know, big campaigning organisations need to change? Or do you think that you're just filling a different space and they should just carry on what they're doing? We only have about one and a half minutes, by the way. 38 Degrees mainly works in partnership with other organisations. We've worked with everyone from the End Child Poverty Coalition to the Guardian newspaper to, to Greenpeace to, to, to um, local, local campaign groups when we've got involved in more local campaigning issues. And I, 
I'd see what we're doing as, as different and important in the same way that what those organisations are doing is, Im, is important. I, I think by, be, by being multi-issue and people-powered and listening to our members, we can do things that, that those organ, organisations can't do, but they've got expertise and um, special knowledge in their particular issue area that it's really important we listen to and work with. And, you know, by working together, we, we have a bigger impact than either of us would have on our own. Well, David, thanks very much for joining us today. And very quickly, before we leave you, you're a personal hero of mine because you were the subject of the most biased interview I've ever seen on broadcast television. Uh, Kay Burley speaking to you yeah. when she was particularly nasty to you, and I thought you did a good job of not <coughs> trying to lynch her. So congratulations on that. Anyone that wants to see the worst interview ever, go on to youtube.com, David Babs, and you'll see there. Thanks very much, David. Good luck with your campaign. Thanks. Um, that's all we've got time for today. Uh, thanks very much, Joss. Thanks, Ben, and we'll see you next week. Okay, bye-bye. Thank you.